Love having to follow that. Awesome job, Rhonda. Good morning. My name is Stephen Bailiff. I am the teaching pastor at our Cypress campus Some from way out northwest. Greetings from our Cypress campus. I want you to, just to tell you a little bit about myself. I've been on staff since 2005. Came here to the Woodway campus to prepare to open up that, that campus out in a movie theater back Super Bowl Sunday of 2006. When we moved our family here in 05, we have three boys. They were one, five, and seven. Fast forward 17 years, they look a little different. Introduce you to my family. This has been a great year for the bailiffs. Our oldest got married in February, so we have a brand new daughter-in-law. It's great for my wife to have another female in the crowd. My oldest graduated from A&M and works up in Dallas with his, thank you, Aggies, I appreciate that. Married a Baylor Bear though, so it's a Highway 6 marriage. My, my middle son just graduated from the University of Arkansas, so we learned how to call the hogs. This Aggie can do that. And then my youngest just graduated from high school and will attend Stephen F. Austin here in the fall, so we get to be empty nesters. Tiffany and I have been married for 28 years. It's been fun, it's been an adventure. And don't tell my boys this, but we're kind of looking forward to the empty nesting stage. Those that have gone on before me say it's pretty, in, pretty cool, so we can't wait. It is a privilege to be back. My boys call this the OG, the original. To be back at Woodway, I officed here for 10 years. Our boys uh, came to school here. So it's great to be back and it's great to have the privilege of standing up here and introducing our summer series, which is really life-changing encounters. And all throughout scripture, there's full of life-changing encounters. From the Moses and the burning bush to the woman at the well, to David and Goliath, you have life-changing encounters throughout all of scripture. But really our prayer here at Second is that we have life-changing encounters every time we come and worship the living God. Our prayer is that there would be life change happening this week as we prepare for Vacation Bible School. Our, our motive, our desire in everything that we do is for life change. And so as we look at life-changing encounters that may have happened a couple thousand years ago, truly our prayer is that each one of us this morning, as we meet with our Heavenly Father, as we allow His Word to pour into our lives, that we would experience life change this morning. We don't get to do this at the Cypress campus because we're on concrete and my knees are bad. But I'm gonna invite you to kneel with me as we open up this teaching time in prayer. Father, we are so thankful that you want us to change. Lord, our desire this morning is to meet with you, to hear from you, to be challenged, to be encouraged, and to be changed by your living word. Lord, we know that you are here. Lord, speak to each one of us. Let me get out of the way. You speak boldly and clearly through your word and your Holy Spirit is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. So my freshman year in college, I met a guy named Jason who was from Colorado Springs. I had never been to Colorado. So when spring rolled around, Jason was without a car, I was without plans, and he said, Stephen, if you take me, if you drive me back home, I will teach you how to ski. I said, that's an amazing deal, let's do that, okay? So we drove up there and he was from Colorado Springs and right outside his front door, you could see Pikes Peak. I think if I remember anything from that trip, it was two things that were introduced. I was raised in Houston. I consider myself a Houstonian. But I was walking through their laundry room one day and I said, Jason, what is that contraption? 
He said, well, that's a humidifier. That adds humidity to the house. I thought, are y'all insane? I said, you, you want humidity? I didn't get that. I said, do you farm fire ants and mosquitoes too? Why would you want humidity? That's ridiculous. And he said, well, it's dry and that's why Houstonians, you look 10 years younger than everybody up in Colorado Springs for that humidity. We, we worry about it, but we're thankful for it when we look in the mirror. But the other thing that really stuck out to me was out his front door, there was a perfect picture of Pikes Peak. I mean, you walk out, and every time I walked out to go to the store, to go skiing, or whatever we were doing that week, I was just in awe. I would look up at that mountain, I would go, wow. And they'd be getting in the car, and I'd go, guys. And they'd go, yeah, yeah, we know, it's Pikes Peak, get in the car, let's go. And see, they lost that sense of awe. There was something that was majestic, there was something that was so miraculous right in front of them, but they saw it so often. This morning, we're gonna look at a life-changing encounter that I'm fearful that we, if you've grown up in church or you've been in church for 10 years, that you just get so used to, so numb to the, the majesty and the miraculous nature of God's wonderful grace. If you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter nine. We're gonna look at a story about a man named Saul. Now, spoiler alert, if you're new to church, he's gonna change his name to Paul, and he, outside of the Lord Jesus, will have the greatest impact on Christianity of any single person in the history of, of the world. So Saul is about to have a life-changing encounter. Looking at Acts chapter nine, verse one, it says, now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters for him to the synagogues at Damascus. So if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring, uh, he might bound them to Jerusalem. Now, the way was what they called Christians before we were called Christians. And so what Saul was doing was getting permission to go and, and bind up any followers of the way, Christ followers, and imprison them, maybe beat them. And so he had that permission as he was traveling in verse three, it happened as he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he, Saul, said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. This is a life-changing encounter. This is a miraculous change. And there are really three questions when we approach a life-changing encounter that I want us to look at, really centering this, this road to Damascus, this road to change experience that Saul had. And really the first question is, are you serious, Lord? When we truly find life change, when we have an encounter with God, we have to ask ourselves, are you serious, Lord? We take a man who is murdering Christians. We take a man who is going to imprison the followers of the way. And God's gonna meet him on the road. 
See, in a life-changing encounter, there's always a great demonstration of God's grace. We have a great demonstration of God's grace. And if you have one of those miraculous testimonies like you were raised with Christian parents, you came to know Jesus at the age of eight and you've walked with him, that is the greatest testimony that we could ever imagine. But if you have one of those, there is still miraculous grace in your life-changing encounter. There's still miraculous grace, but we look at Saul, who just a chapter before, there's a verse in 8.3, Acts 8.3 that says this, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, he would put them in prison. This is his MO, this is what Saul was doing. It was his passion and desire, his life goal, to take Christ followers and to take them and put them into prison and to beat them. He was even present at the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He sat there and gave his approval. This man Saul took pleasure when Christians suffered. And yet God chooses to use him. God takes this miraculous life change, this encounter with God on the road to Damascus, and he says, I'm going to show my people the extent of my grace. And I know that we would live in a world where people, they may not be imprisoning Christians, but they may be verbally bashing everything that we stand for. They may be so counter-Christian, so enthusiastic about being our great antagonist. And I think oftentimes we as Christ followers, we go, no, they're, they're too far gone, Lord. No, I don't, I don't know about that person that I work with, that person that's on my, my street. I don't know about that family member. They're living such a lifestyle. They have such an animosity toward the Christian faith. There's no way they could be saved. This is a great reminder for all of us that the reach of God's grace is far greater than we can ever imagine. This is a great reminder to us that no one is too far gone to experience a life changing encounter. This is a great reminder that if Saul can be changed and Saul can be used and Saul can, can have an impact like he did on God's kingdom, then what about that person who we think there is no way God that he or she could come to know Christ? How dare us to limit the grace and the reach of the grace of our Heavenly Father? We need to pray for, we need to share, we need to live a life praying for them that they would have a life-changing encounter, praying for them that God would use them, and then we need to not be so pious, so spiritually kind of arrogant that when God chooses to use someone, we get frustrated. Maybe our pride gets in the way. God, why are you using them? I can't believe that you're ordaining that person. I can't believe that you've called that person into ministry. I can't believe that you've called that person into leadership in our Bible study class because I know what they used to be like. We need to make sure that we check our own spirit, that our own pride doesn't get in the way when God decides to do a miraculous work in the life of someone who right now is an antagonist for the cause of Christ. Saul was radically converted. Saul met Jesus and he asked two questions. Who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? And if you're brand new to this church thing and you have no idea who Jesus is, there's really two questions that you need to ask. 
Who, who is Jesus? Who are you, Lord? And what do I need to do? Jesus answered, so I'm Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. That is great encouragement for every one of our Christ followers living in this culture in 2022. Because I think we, we believe that we are under attack. I believe that we think that when we stand for Jesus that we are persecuted. Now around the world there's true persecution. What we have is persecution light. But this is the great encouragement right here. Jesus actually says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He didn't say, you're, you're persecuting my people, you're killing my, my man Stephen, you're out there imprisoning the followers of me. He's saying, you are persecuting me. When you are persecuted, when I am persecuted in this world, when we put something out on social media and all of our comments are totally negative, when we stand in our workplaces and people bash us for our beliefs, know this, Jesus takes it personally. Jesus is up in heaven ready to stand for you and me. He's up there ready to say, you know what, they're not persecuting you. When I stand for Jesus and people say things negative and harsh and ugly, they're not speaking against me. They're speaking against Jesus. And Jesus assures us that it is Jesus that they are persecuting. And so we need to ask, are you, are you serious, Lord? The second question we need to ask is, are you sure, God, with a great big question mark? Because look at what happens after this, verse 10. Now there was a disciple in, at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So Ananias knew that it was the Lord speaking to him, and he knew that this was about to be the Lord giving him his plan. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas, a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him that he may uh, really regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. I love this because when we say, are you sure, Lord, there's in life-changing encounter, there's always a radical obedience. There is a call for radical obedience. Here, Ananias is so confused and a little bit fearful that he knows who Saul is. He knows what Saul has done. He knows that he has letters from Jerusalem to imprison everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. And Jesus says, I need you to go hang out with my man Saul. And Ananias says, are you sure it's me? Are you sure, God, because I think he's gonna kill me or at least put me in prison. Are you sure, God? God calls us to do some radical things. You read through scripture and he says, love your enemy. Forgive those even when they haven't forgiven you. Love those who don't love you. Go stand in a culture who is increasingly anti-Christian. Swim against the stream and speak my name and share my name and share my plan of salvation with others. He calls us to do some radically obedient things. And Ananias was fearful. He said, are you sure it's me? Are you sure you want me to go, God? 
And God said, yes, I've already told him that there's a man named Ananias coming. And Ananias probably said, is there another Ananias out there? Is there somebody else who may go in my place? Because I really don't wanna go to the, the, the public enemy, the Christian enemy number one, Saul. And God said, go. And what was Ananias to Paul? Ananias was the first representative of the church. He was the first man to love Saul, to encourage Saul, to show him what a Christian looks like. God's calling us to radical obedience. You know what God may be calling you to do? To be the very first person to welcome in that Christian. And it may get messy and it may be difficult and they may not understand what it means to follow Christ and they may need you to step out of your fear and walk in faith and to say, you know what, you need a friend who's gonna show you what it means to be a Christian, who's gonna show you and explain to you what scripture says and how to walk. I had a friend of mine who became a Christian. He was a teenager, long hair, kind of living in the hippie days and he was smoking pot. And that's what he did. And when he came to know Christ, he wasn't from a church family. And somebody took him under his wing and they had to finally tell him, he said, hey, hey, let me tell you something. When you come to know Christ and you live as a Christian, you don't smoke pot. And it was like a light bulb. He was like, really? I didn't know that. No one had ever told me that. Someone may be needing direction. We may throw judgment at a brand new believer because they don't know better. We can't expect a brand new Christ follower to walk and live in obedience like someone who's been walking with the Lord for 10 or 20 or 40 years. They may need you to walk with them, to disciple them, to grow them, to show them the love of Jesus Christ and what it means to obediently follow him. You may need to get rid of your fear and walk in obedient faith with God's plan. I think of two men in the Old Testament where they were called to radical obedience. You think about Moses, and he says, Moses, I need you to lead my people. And Moses, out of fear, came up with excuse after excuse. What if they don't listen to me? Well, I'm not that good of a speaker. They're not gonna follow me. They don't know that you're the one that sent me. Excuse after excuse after excuse. And then I think about a young teenage boy named David who was called to radical obedience, who was called to, to face a giant, and he ran to the battle and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who should defy the armies of the living God? I'll fight him. I've handled bears and lions. God will give me the victory. We need to take the attitude of young David that, you know what, if God calls us to do something in radical obedience, God will equip us and God will give us the victory required when we step out in faith and no longer cower in fear. Are you sure, God? Many of us this morning may be called to do something that is outside our comfort zone. And right now we're saying, are you sure, God? And God is saying, I need you. You need to be that first touch. You need to be that first person. You need to be the loving man or woman who's gonna show them the love and the obedience of Jesus Christ. The third, third question we have is, are you ready, Saul? And I put Paul up there because it's really gonna change. Are you ready? Life-changing encounters give us ultimate direction. I love this. Ananias in verse 17 departed and entered the house and after laying hands on him, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me 
so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, if you write in your Bibles, you underline that word immediately. A life-changing encounter should, should result in immediate action. And immediately, and then we're gonna see that word, there fell from his eyes something like scales and he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized. We emphasize baptism. We, we get to serve, we get to be a part of the greatest church in, in America, maybe the world. But we oftentimes get numb to thousands of kids going to the beach and hearing the gospel and seeing the message and seeing men and women live that faith out and encourage, we, we get numb to the fact that 850 kids were baptized a couple weeks ago. We get numb to that just like Pikes Peak, just like this miraculous story. We need to never lose the wonder of the way that God miraculously works in this church because you're faithful and I'm faithful because we continue to stand under the authority of God's word and lift up the name of Jesus. That is why God continues to work miracles. That is why people continue to have encounters with God here at the Second Family. That's what we're about. But we think that baptism is important. Remember that it said that when he was blinded, he didn't eat or drink for three days. It says immediately he was baptized, and then in verse 19, he took food and was strengthened. That was how important it was to put his flag up for Jesus. That three days without food, he said, before I eat, before I drink, I wanna get in the waters and put my flag up for Jesus Christ. And that's what he did. And look at, look at the next verse right there. It says, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the Son of God. Are you ready? Are you ready to, to act on the life-changing life encounter? Are you ready to step out and start living out the faith that God has radically saved you through? And it says that Paul immediately, he didn't say, well, I need to join a, a Sunday school class and I need to go to seminary and I need to do this and I gotta make sure I have the New Testament memorized. He would have had much of the Old Testament memorized. I gotta learn all this before. No, he immediately proclaimed the name of Jesus. When God has a miraculous encounter, a life-changing encounter with you, immediately start living out that faith. Immediately start walking and sharing. In fact, one of the greatest times to share your faith with others is immediately after you have that encounter. It doesn't have to be a conversion experience. It can be, man, I had a life-changing encounter through a, a scripture that I was reading, through a conversation that I was having, through sharing my faith with someone, and you get so excited that God showed up that you can share that with others. They may not believe in the Bible, but they cannot refute that your testimony of what God is doing in your life right now. And immediately, he began to teach people the gospel. And immediately, through this life-changing encounter, through this radical salvation redemption, Saul became Paul, wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books, started churches, made an impact that continues to roll on through centuries. In fact, the reason I chose this story is because it's foundational to, to who I am. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I don't ever remember going to church, uh, ever. Not even, I wasn't even a CEO, a Christmas and Easter only. We were never. And I was a teenager and I was up late one night watching TV and I saw, 
some of y'all are gonna remember a toll-free call. Now we have cell phones, there's no such thing as a toll-free call. But it was a toll-free call for a free book, free shipping. And I was a teenager, I was trying to prove my dad wrong, and my dad said there's nothing in life that is free, right? You've heard that. So, well, I proved dad wrong, and I dialed the phone, and I called and ordered a book called The Power for Living. Wasn't much of a reader as a ninth grader, but the book came. I opened it up and it gave some testimonies to people who I thought were pretty important. Roger Stahlback, Tom Landry, the owner of Holiday Inn. I didn't know who that was, but I figured if he owned Holiday Inn, he was pretty important. And after their testimonies of what Christ had done for them, that book presented the Romans road. Scripture after scripture after scripture, written by Saul who became Paul, written by public enemy number one who is radically converted on the road to Damascus, written by the man who was killing Christians and then after a, a, a life-changing encounter went to preaching the gospel. A man in, in your circles would have been the least likely to make an impact for his kingdom. And 2,000 years later in my room, I read the Romans road and I get down on my knees and I pray to ask Jesus in my heart. Saul becoming Paul not only radically changed his life, but it radically changed my life. Our question this morning is when we have a life-changing encounter with God, when you allow God to move in you and through you, whose life is gonna change? God may be wanting to use you this morning to change your office, to change your cul-de-sac, to change your circles of influence. God may be wanting to use you and your life-changing encounter, whether it happened last week, 50 years ago, or whether it happens this morning. God wants to use us. God wants to show us what it means to see him face to face. To answer the two greatest questions, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the one who died on the cross for your sins and mine. I'm Jesus, the one through the power of God was resurrected on the third day. I'm Jesus who did that to purchase the sin that you cannot pay for. All of those mess ups, all of those frustrations, all of those what the Bible calls as sins, all of those things, we cannot purchase the payment for the sin. But Jesus did on the cross. That question, who are you, Lord? We're gonna answer that again in judgment. And I'm gonna proudly answer, you're the Lord Jesus who bled and died for my sins, who paid for my redemption, who rescued me from myself and who brought me through a life-changing encounter into not only an eternal life with you, but an abundant life here on earth with purpose and peace that this world cannot understand or explain. And then what do you want me to do? What does he want us to do? To be radically obedient, to be a Paul and preach the word, to be an Ananias and come around Christians and, and pour into them and love them and lift them up and encourage them to walk with Jesus. God used Paul to radically change my life, eternal and here on earth. But God used a few men who I would call Ananiases to love me and encourage me 
God used a friend of mine that invited me to church because I didn't even know what church was about. And God used them to mold me. And I am here today walking with the Lord, not perfect by any means, just ask Tiffany, she'll tell you. But I'm here because Paul was radically converted and he was faithful in the way that he pursued Christ. And because there were some men around me that saw this kid who, who didn't have any idea what Genesis or Revelation or anything between meant. And they put their arms around me and they loved me and they encouraged me and they discipled me until God could clearly call me and God could clearly show me the plan that he had for my life. How does he wanna use you this morning? How does he want to radically change your life? Maybe it's because you don't know who Jesus is and you need to answer those two questions. Who is Jesus and what does Jesus want you to do? He wants you to surrender your life to him, to repent and turn from trying to do it yourself and surrender and give up your life to Jesus Christ. And that will change your life. If you're a Christ follower, he wants you to live in radical obedience. He wants you to be a Paul and preach the word and an Ananias and disciple others. He wants you to make a difference for his kingdom, his glory, his purpose. That's what we're called to. And if we all do that, if the second family does that, how radically different would the city of Houston look? How radically different would our world change if we all pursued with radical obedience the call that Jesus has placed on each one of us? That is the call, that is the challenge, that is the life-changing encounter that God wants to have with each one of us.